exciting episode of Legends in the Dark, hosted by your two favorite carbon-based life forms. My name is Jay. And I am Leslie. How are you doing today, Leslie? I am not bad. Nice opening, nice opening. Thank you very much. Very, very on point. Because that's what we are. Mm-hmm. Yep. How's your week been? It's going all right. You know, same old, same old, just made it, making it to the weekend and then desperately trying to cling to the weekend and then sobbing uncontrollably when the weekend is over. It is funny how sometimes weekends will feel like they go so slow. And that Sunday, I will wake up at, you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. I'll blink and it's 9 p.m. And I'm like, whoa, what happened to the day? That actually happened like a couple weeks ago. I, I told Chris's mom, I was like, hey, let's watch a movie. So we watched uh, Downton Abbey, the movie. And I made popcorn and we watched the movie. And then we watched this, um, we watched this documentary on HBO, which I might do uh, the story on. It, it was a, um, a murder mystery. And it was so good. And we started when it was like, you know, early afternoon. And I'm like, okay, well, ooh, I'm tired. What time is it? You know, five o'clock, six o'clock? No, nine o'clock. I'm like, okay, that that documentary might have been a little long. Yeah, especially this time of year, you know, because it's like once five o'clock hits, it's dark outside already. So it's kind of hard to tell. I know, right? But, now, did you watch the Downton Abbey, the movie, like the Michael Bay cut, or just the regular one? <laughs> Very funny. Because, you know, I, one I've heard is much more prone to explosions than the other. <laughs> it is. So you just think it's an innocent teapot, but boom. But, you know, you know I yeah. think I prefer that like, than the... On? You know, just one minute McGarnagle is there, next minute she's not, you know. She's... And then I, but I do prefer that than the, is it J.J. Abram, Abrams and um, the lens flare? You know, just too much lens flare for uh, 1920s England. Oh, well, at least it wasn't like an M. Night Shyamalan twist. <gasps> I know they've been dead the whole time. Mm. McGarnagle's <laughs> an alien. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> Okay, so I think I'm going first this week, right? You sure are. So, I uh, hope you're ready to knock my socks off. Well, should we tell the listeners what are we doing? We we don't usually go into themes, but I was really interested in doing this again this week. So this week our themes are creepy happenings at state parks. Yeah, national parks. National parks. I was actually going to do some missing person cases, but I actually was finally able to get some of the missing 411 books from the library. So I think I want to do some research, but I've been listening to a couple podcasts. I haven't checked out um, the YouTube videos about it, but I listened to this one podcast. It's really creepy because it was talking about these disappearances in national parks and I guess this author, David Paulides, P-A-U-L-I-D-E-S, um, was like kind of finding a profile, like the weird things that happen when these people disappeared. And because I was looking up national park stories, of course, then my Google was like, anytime something happened in national park is popping up. And we had a disappearance in Yosemite. And I thought that was so weird that we were just talking about it. And then I was listening to a podcast, shout out to Shadowlands, and 
they were talking that one of their old episodes was about um missing 411 the books and they were talking about how there was like certain things that happen with the missing people it's like they go missing like by water or they go missing um after they're like the last one in the line if they're with a group of people like little things i haven't done much research so i, I don't know exactly but one thing he did mention was after a disappearance you have some like really weird weather phenomena that happens and like two days or three days after the yosemite disappearance they had such a bad windstorm that the park got shut down like they shut down yosemite must have been a pretty bad storm then. Yeah, they said that they have to, they had to like fix up the park. So I'm all like, really? I don't even think you guys shut down with the bad wildfires this year. Like I thought that was so weird. So I think I'm I can't wait to read this book. And you know, future episodes might have to be about some of these missing people. Yeah, definitely. We can get like more information on those, and that would be something to do an episode on. Yeah. Oh man. But I didn't want to do it right now since I don't have the books. And like when I try to buy the books, <laughs> eBay was like selling it for like 80 bucks. I went, mm, I'll check the library first. But speaking of creepy stories with national parks, uh, it's my turn to go first. And we're, right. and we're heading to Kentucky. Discover the secret of the Colonel's spices. We might find out exactly what's in the secret recipe. Dun, dun, dun. So where we're going is the Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. Now, this park is called the most haunted national wonder in the world. And I will admit when I was reading it, I read a couple different stories and one was from an expert excerpt from a, one of these books. Oh, I didn't write down the book. Okay, I might not use that excerpt then if I can't find the book. But it actually kind of creeped me out where my dogs, you know how dogs kind of, they'll sleep. And on, maybe they'll lift their head and they'll stare off at something like they're hearing something. And then they'll get up and run real fast. Maybe they'll bark. My dogs did the opposite where I'm reading this like creepy story on my phone. And Jessie's sitting on her little ottoman and she hears something, gets up, gets down. And I thought, oh, she's just going to go outside, you know, go to the restroom. And all of a sudden she just sat there and like tilted her head and kind of watched the hallway. And I'm like, stop doing that. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I'm go not going to read any more of this story because it's creeping me out. <laughs> she was probably just listening for uh, Chris upstairs, but it's so funny how cats and dogs, when they kind of do that staring off in the corner, you're like, really? You can't do this at like 2 p.m. when the sun's out? You got to do this at like 10 p.m.? Like, but mom, I'm watching the ghosts. Yeah, mom, the ghosts only come every, you know, they only sit in that corner every hour before midnight. At least they don't, like, turn their head and look at you and then go, la, 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 la. I was reading stories because I was trying to come up with some different stories. And I, uh, a good friend of mine, shout out Crystal, um, bought me a book of um, cryptids and of, like, water monsters. So I was, like, looking through that. So I've been reading a lot of trying to get really good stories for the podcast. And... I was reading these ones about like kids and like their imaginary friends. And then, like I said, I was listening to Shadowland and then they were talking about like haunted um, restaurants like Arby's and McDonald's. And I remember seeing the photo, but 
I never knew the story over the photo. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's a photo of a girl who's playing in like the McDonald's Playland and her mom takes a picture and they leave and they go back home and it's really funny. So I've always just seen the picture. I never really knew the story behind it, but mom takes picture of daughter in Playland. There's another face there. And so, oh, that's creepy. That's all I knew about it. So the Shadowlands was talking about the whole story. And the story is, is when, when the mom showed the picture to the little girl, she says, oh, that's the, I forgot what name she calls it, but it's basically her imaginary friend that she talks to. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's creepy. And I was like talking to them on Instagram. Like I was saying, like, that was a great episode. And someone had um, posted, because they put the picture up on their Instagram, someone had posted saying, like, you know, when you when you look at this, because, like, the little girl's in, like, a little tube, you know, if you know the Playland, and she's looking out, like, the little tube window, and, and the face is right behind her. And this, one, or this uh, person on Instagram said, if you look underneath the tube, you see the little girl's shadow. So, you know, like, you see the shadow of her knees and stuff. You don't see any shadow next to her. And I was like, wow, this photo got 10 times creepier. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to show it to you. But so I've been like getting so creeped out with like reading about kids stories and kids pictures. And, oh, this is my, I have an imagine, you know, imaginary friend. And then, you know, taking a picture and there's someone standing next to your daughter. And, you know, <laughs> there's so many creepy um, photos out there. Especially the ones involving kids. Oh, right. So back to the Mammoth Caves. So Mammoth Caves have uh, a lot of people have many different experiences because this, this cave has been around for centuries. In 1839, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going to just start in about the 1800s, but there was a lot more stories. It has a really rich history. I mean, we probably both could have done a whole episode on this. But in 1839, Dr. Crohan Sorry, Dr. Croghan, C-R-O-G-H-A-N, so I don't know if it's Croghan or Croghan, for $10,000 purchased the caves along with, and this is, you know, sign of the times, with several slaves. One was Stephen Bishop, who was a cave guide, and the National Park Service website states that he was one of the greatest explorers Mammoth Caves has ever known. So that's that's pretty cool, but not cool that, you know, that... He came with the caves. That's just so, like, that's makes your stomach kind of drop when you read something like that. So the the guide, Bishop, he was so great that he's still spoken of to this day. And the National Parks website um, talks about how enthusiastic and lively his tours were. And there's still reports of today that when park rangers give their what they call the Violet City Lantern Tour, that Bishop is actually seen on the tour. They had different accounts. One account was, they just said it was a man and above the rocks. But then some rangers were saying, I guess, that they're, they feel someone like watching them and like watching how they're speaking. Like, like they're telling the story. Like he's almost being judged. The rangers are being judged on how these stories are done. So it's kind of like the guy is like, hey, make sure you did it, you know, do it right. I would have done it different, but I guess that's okay. A perfectionist, even after death. Yes, exactly. Bishop is actually buried in the Old Guide Cemetery not far from the cave in Kentucky. Now, Dr. Crohan wanted to help people and convince that pure the pure air in the caverns was good for health 
made um, these patient cabins and turned the caves into, or part of the caves, into a tuberculosis hospital. Those never seem to have happy stories attached to them. Well, it's, you're putting people with a respiratory problem, and this is, again, before, you know, modern science, into a damp, dark cave. Sounded like a good idea at the time. Yeah, well, surprisingly, the airless caves and the damp conditions caused two of the patients to die within the first year of living in the caves, and I believe the next couple of months was like 15 people became very ill. Today, visitors can still see the consumptive cabins, or at least what remains of them. So what would happen is someone would pass, and near these cabins, there's this large rock, and they would um, put the people, lay them out to be buried on these rocks. They would prepare the burial and then move the bodies. This rock came to uh, later be called Corpse Rock, and it is here where many claim to hear phantom coffin around that rock and around the cabins. Dr. Crohan died of, help me say it, tuberculosis. Thank you, in 1849. Today, the park rangers still give tours, of course, and they still do the what they call the Violet City Lantern. And where it sounds like, from what I read, they do these tours and it has um, lights on, electric lights, and they take guests into the caverns and then they turn the lights off and they call those like the blackouts. And then one guide has a kerosene lamp and he tells stories by kerosene lamp. And so according to one of the park rangers, Larry Purcell, during one of the violet light tours, all the electric lights are turned off with only the ranger telling the story who has the lamp. So basically the guy who's talking and Purcell was like standing, I guess, near him or, you know, he, he had enough light to see the guests, but he wasn't holding the light. You know what I mean? So it wasn't something that was like right in his face. During one such tour in the lamplight, Purcell said that he saw an African-American family in the group. The father was wearing a Panama hat, and Purcell thought it was strange that he hadn't noticed them. He watched the man in the hat watching the ranger speak, like like he was just drawn to the ranger. When the ranger was done speaking, the one with the lamp, he, Purcell, turned to turn on the lights and then went back to looking at the group. When he noticed that the family he was just looking at was gone. He suspects that the room they were in, known as the Memphis Church, had something to do with the family. Because this area that he, they were telling the story in, the miners used to hold their religious services. Guides and their families of the time would come to hear people speak. And so he, this park ranger, thinks that maybe with the other park ranger telling the story, with speaking to this group of people, it was almost like drawn these spirits out. Also, during these blackouts, rangers report of being touched, pushed, grabbed, and even hearing footsteps when there are none and no one near them. And I, this is my own personal take. I think, because I've been on cave tours before, and it's very easy, and I've even done one of those tours where they turn off the lights, and um, I think it was Carlsbad, but where they turn off the lights... And they have, like, color lights on the rocks. And they're like, oh, it looks like ice cream. And you kind of just watch this light show they put on. 
And because there's no lights and there's no air and no, you know, way to go out. Like if you know there's an exit somewhere, sometimes you could turn around and, you know, oh, there's an exit sign and there's a little glow. Like there's always a little bit of, of light around. So I can imagine if you're in this big like cavern and you're listening to the story and it's just by the soft light. Your eyes could play tricks on you. I'm not saying that he didn't see it, but your eyes could play tricks on you. But on the other hand, we've been on ghost hunts. It's almost like those times when people are just doing their everyday things. It's almost the thing that draws the spirits out more. You know what I mean? Part of their routine. Yes, yes. It's like, because we're, it's not like these park rangers will go down there like, let's go ghost hunting. No, they're going down to tell the history of these caves to their tour guides. And, you know, I've known some park rangers, um, one or two, because there's a haunted park actually near us. And I'm not doing it. And the reason I didn't do it is because I want to save it for when the pandemic's over and we can go visit it. And I want to do another ghost hunt there, hopefully. But you know these places that they, the rangers are usually so into the stories. You know what I mean? Like they, they have a passion for them. And I think that passion brings out these spirits sometimes even if it's just a someone going to investigate a, a place when you're serious about it and you want to know I feel like that's why people have experiences so the last interesting thing I would like to mention uh, these caves being so big having so many experiences having these creepy things happen and even just the history alone being creepy is that it's no surprise that these caves were the inspiration of the of an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Beast in the Cave. I thought that was a fun fact. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So I haven't read the story, but I am, I'm not sure if he actually names the Mammoth Caves or if he maybe names the caves something else, but he was inspired by them. So I guess I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that would that actually would be pretty cool to go in and check, to see, take that tour and listen to the stories and everything. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard. I mean, we've researched so many different places that are haunted, and of course, they're kind of like a consumption hospital. But I've never heard one that was in the caves, caves like these before. So I, I honestly wouldn't mind visiting them either and and taking a tour and. Seen not just for the spirits, but also, but also for the history. You know what I mean? Like, these caves must have been just amazing. Right. And, like, uh, like when he sees the, the ghosts during his, when he's telling the story, it's like the ghosts are going, like, don't forget the part about us. Anyway, that's my story. Very good. Very good story. So where are you taking us tonight? So speaking of rocks, we're going to a very famous rock. It's actually called The Rock. No, no, you have to do, you have to do the, the Sean Connery accent. Welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. <laughs> you do that so good. I love it. Now well, I'm for. I'm going to be telling ghost stories and I'm going to be making everyone feel very uncomfortable. I was just rewatching Red Ot Hunt for Red October. So Jay, for those who don't live in California, why don't you tell us what actually the rock means? Or what so, the rock so, is. So the rock, also known as Alcatraz. Nice. I love visiting. I must have gone to Alcatraz because I grew up by there half a dozen times. Last time was with my mom. And I even bought like a souvenir uh, messenger bag. Great. The story's not about you, Leslie. 
Leslie. It could be. I love the stories. I know the basic stories, but you know what's funny when you go on the tours, unless they changed it, maybe they do they do, do a like midnight tour or a night tour during like February. But I don't think they really talk about ghosts. Oh, there's lots of ghosts. Ooh, okay, let me get my cup of tea. I'm ready. Lots of ghosts on the rock. But the history of Alcatraz goes way, way back, like before even the 18, before it actually was even thought of being a prison. Originally, it was used by the native tribe in the area, the Lakota tribe. It was actually believed to be inhabited by evil spirits. And they often would use that island as a form of punishment for individuals who, you know, violate a tribal law. They would either force them to spend some time on the island amongst the evil spirits, or they would just straight up banish them there for the rest of their life. And they'd have to live the rest of their life with the evil spirits. So I thought that was very, that was pretty interesting when I read that too. Now, in the late 1850s, the first inmates to occupy uh, Alcatraz were military prisoners that were forced to build a new prison, which would later be called The Rock. Which And then the U.S. Army housed military prisoners until 1933, when the federal government finally decided to open a maximum security minimum privilege penitentiary for the most incorrigible inmates. Yeah, the Rocks has seen some famous people. Al Capone, the Birdman. The brothers who escaped, along with... Oh, okay, he's so famous, but I forgot his name. Along with the three who tried to escape but were gunned down in the in the utility corridor oh and the three who escaped but they just don't know if they made it to the mainland mm-hmm. so this prison when it was when it was built this thing was designed to break spirits it was designed to break the spirits of the most rebellious dangerous prisoners there were harsh harsh punishments for violating even just minor rules in the prison did you know that there was no speaking allowed in in alcatraz amongst the prisoners except for three minutes at the beginning of the day and two hours on the weekend i remember one of the tours we took when i was younger because it was like a school tour and there was a woman there who grew up part of like maybe five years of her adolescence up on alcatraz because of the way it was kind of set up for the prison guards, it was easier to have the families live on the island. And so these, she talks about how the children would be brought down to the dock. And if there was and the boat came like once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And so they would be put on the boat. But before they were put on the boat, the prisoners coming in that day would get off. And their instructions were, you do not look at the kids. You do not talk to the kids. And, like, they would basically come off the boat. The kids would go on the boat. And that would happen, like, every day. Or, I mean, like, at least once or twice a week or so. And she taught, it was a really, I, I mean, I was too young to appreciate it at the time. I think it was, like, 10, 11 when I went. I remember I was, like, in sixth grade, I think. So it wasn't, it was kind of one of these, like, yeah, whatever, I want to go see the, the cells. But now, you know, because she had wrote a book. It's really interesting, the life. Like, it was its own little city. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it was definitely, it, I mean, like, the warden lived on the island. The 
you know, like you said, the prisoners, or not the prisoner, obviously they lived on the island too. <laughs> um, the guards and their families lived on the island. And like I was saying, like, I mean, they had like very harsh rules within the prison system. I mean, it was designed to like break people down and it did a good job for the most part. Some of the punishments just to kind of go over, you know, a couple of them. There were different rooms, different cells, different types of cells that mostly on the D block level for the more unruly uh, characters they had there. One of them was called the strip cell. You can kind of probably guess what that was basically. They would basically force the inmate to strip totally naked. It was usually down in the lower levels where it was colder, stripped completely naked. They'd have like no light except for a really low watt bulb in the, in the middle of the room, uh, a hole in the middle of the floor for, you know, waste. And they'd be given bread and water in limited supply. Wow. That is pretty harsh. And there was a very similar one, which is most people probably have heard this term at some point or another, the hole. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you watch these movies from the 60s and 70s and stuff, and it's Cool Hand Luke, or even when you watch Alcatraz, the one with Clint Eastwood. They throw you in. The, the hole. hole, yeah. And there was more, it was basically sensory deprivation. Basically the same as the strip cell. I mean, it's totally dark except for a really low light, limited food, water. They'd only be given like a straw mattress to sleep on at night and it would be taken away in the morning. Also, I apologize. I'm trying to edit out a lot of these like ambient sounds. I don't know what it is, but like everyone decides they got to leave the neighborhood right at when I record. No one did anything the whole day. So I apologize if you hear anything. And being in the hole would... I think the maximum amount of time they could set, they could put you in there was about 19 days. That's a hard, that's a hard time. Little light, bread and water. No contact. No with contact, anybody. no talking. And if you were like a really hard, really bad offender, a lot of times the whole visits would be accompanied by the occasional beating. Now, the spirits. Did I mention this place was haunted? I think we alluded to the fact. I think so. So the spirits that could to this day continue to lurk in the shadows on the often fog and shrouded island have been heard, seen, and felt by staff and visitors. Uh, a lot of times there have been reports of sounds of men's voices, terrifying screams, whistles, and clanging metal doors have been heard within these historic walls, especially in the dungeon area, which is a which was a leftover of when it was a military prison. Now, while the island served as a penitentiary, a number of guards reported experiences, including hearing sobbing and moaning, terrible smells, and reports of what they called the thing. Now, you say guards. So these experiences are when the, with the prison still active or now as a national park? This is when it still served as a penitentiary. Wow. So they were, they were experiencing weird things even then. So this thing, the thing, he makes a he makes an appearance later on in my on another story. So it's an entity that's been seen that has glowing eyes. Ooh, that's creepy. Warden Johnston, who though I did not have a date, uh, I'm assuming he was just the warden that ran the prison during the when it, its operational years, who, who did not believe in ghosts, encountered 
the unmistakable sounds of a woman sobbing while leading guests on a tour of the prison. The cries were heard by the warden and the guests alike and were described as coming from inside the walls of the dungeon. So I'm guessing they were, they were walking around in the lower levels. And just as the sobbing stopped, an icy cold wind was said to have blown through the group. Also involving Warden Johnston at a Christmas party that was held in, at his home on the island. Guards who were attending told of a ghost, uh, sight, sightings of a ghostly man who appeared wearing a gray suit, a brimmed cap, and mutton chop sideburns. When the ghostly figure appeared, the room suddenly became very cold, and the fire in the and the fire in the stove extinguished immediately. That's not cool. Like I could, can you just imagine something like that happening? It, it's something out of a movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Other things that happen on this island is on foggy nights. Now there used to be a, and you can let me know if it's still. I'm the way that this was described, it sounds as if it's not there anymore, but is there a lighthouse or was a lighthouse uh, on the island or near the island? But I can't remember if there was a lighthouse in 2009. So, well, the story that I see here is that on foggy nights, it's been reported that the old lighthouse will appear accompanied by an eerie whistling sound and a flashing green light, which travels around the island appearing before guards and visitors, which just appears and then vanishes. That's creepy. So when the prison was still open, guards told of hearing phantom cannon and gunshots, along with screams so real that the seasoned guards would would dive for the ground, believing that prisoners on the island had escaped and somehow obtained weapons. Then the guards, after everything quieted down, guards would cautiously get up, look around, and then just see absolutely nothing. Again, it's one of those things. It's not like they thought, oh, it's a ghost I hear. It's real people in a real-life situation. Then afterwards, when you realize you're safe, you're like, what was that? Uh-huh. Another sightings that guards have reported have, they've reported smelling smoke that came from a deserted laundry room as if something was on fire in the room. When they went to go investigate, there was black smoke in the room so thick that it drove them from the room. Like, they couldn't be in there. Minutes later, they'd go back. Smoke was completely gone. Like, the room is smoke-free. Wow. A former guard. This is where our our glowy-eyed friend makes another appearance. A former guard who worked at the prison in the 1940s reported that guards often saw saw a ghostly presence of a man dressed in late 1800s prison attire walking the hallway next to the strip cells on lower D-block levels. On one occasion, an inmate who was locked in the hole, or one of the holes, immediately began to start screaming that somebody with glowing eyes was in the cell with him. The inmate's cries were ignored by the guards as they just thought it was just, you know, yeah, trying to get their attention. And the screams continued well on into the night and then suddenly were replaced by total silence. Ooh, that's so ominous. The following morning, the convict was found dead with a horrible expression on his face and noticeable handprints around his throat. The autopsy showed that the strangulation was not self-inflicted. An investigation into the murder that was conducted, but no one ever claimed responsibility. Many believed that the inmate was killed by the 19th century prisoner that was often seen wandering the corridors. That's creepy, but again, we... 
I, this is one of those times where I wish I could just suspend my disbelief, but it could be an accident in the sense of one of the guards did it. You know what I mean? And it was just like a cover up. I mean, it's a creepy story, but part of me is kind of like, hmm, I feel like it's a little Shawshanky. I don't rain on your parade, Leslie. Why do you have to rain on mine? <gasps> Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. You know, your mammoth caves was stupid. I'll just say that. <laughs> Take that. Now, to add to this mystery, this part is what's really what's creepy about that, too, is that when guards lined up the convicts for a daily head count, one too many cons were in the lineup. At the end of the row appeared the recently strangled convict. As both guards and prisoners looked on in stunned silence, the ghostly figure vanished. Okay, now that's creepy. If it's both guards and prisoners. They're like WTF. Yeah, exactly. I think I would be the same thing. Like, whoa, what's going on? That's so creepy. And those were some of the ghostly encounters of Alcatraz prison. Oh my gosh. I so want to go back to Alcatraz and like take my recorder and see if they tell any of the stories because now it seems like a lot of the national parks i mean not 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 national parks but i don't know if they tell these stories it seems like some parks do but other parks don't as so, they had other stuff in more recent years you know people have gone in with with psychics and things like that and some of the d-block levels especially cells 12 and 14 have been said to be some of the more active cells on D-block. They've been reported to be like 20 degrees cooler or colder than any other cell on the blocks. That's that's so strange. But then on the other hand, you are in the middle of San Francisco Bay. I know. But you know what's creepy? But why, is, why are two rooms specifically colder than the rest of them on the same level? That's what I was about to say. But you know what's creepy? It is weird that it's only two of these rooms. You know what's also weird is I wonder if there's stories about when they say like oh when it's a fog when the fog rolls in and you see this like weird lighthouse I wonder if anyone like from outside of the from like the mainland have seen this. I'm just imagining some old some old guys on an old on a fishing boat like yeah there's the old lighthouse feel sorry for the guy for the boys on that island. Soon you see the green light. That's where the flesh-eating bacteria comes from. <laughs> I know. I remember, was it Josh Whedon, after Lost, made a, another TV show, and they called it Alcatraz, and it was supposed to be something with a bright-eyed monster under the island? Well, it was something. It was It was actually a pretty interesting show, but it didn't make it. didn't last very long. Like, they had, it was... What was it used because they you would go back to when the when the island was still being used as a prison and prisoners like I think was like a hundred of them just vanished and like they started appearing in modern times like and going back and doing their their old routines like I, killings and things like that. I I never seen it, but a lot of people were. I just remember I wanted to see it. I was really never into Lost. I don't. I've never seen Lost. And, I mean, I know what happens because so many people have told me and spoiled it. I heard Lost pissed off a lot of people. Yeah, and so, I mean, I wouldn't mind sitting back and maybe binging it now. But the thing is, is I remember when Alcatraz came out and so many people, I don't know if it's because a lot of people were upset with Lost, but 
like he got like Josh Whedon got some like flack for making another like island TV show, and I was like, well, this one sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it actually, I was actually liking it when it was still going, but then canceled it after just a few episodes. That's so a shame. Like, oh, well, that sucks. But you know your stories. Now I sit but, here and I might have been like, well, I don't know about that. But when you're on the island, now I'm thinking about all the times I've gone. And if now hearing the stories, it's kind of given a new, you know, spin on when you like walk into the cells and visit the cells. Oof, that's creepy. Yeah, I would want to go into those cells at night. You know what would be cool is if they had like a TV show where it was like, it's it's in the future, right? But they're like, they reopen Alcatraz as a intergalactic prison. And it has, like, aliens and stuff like that being held at the prison and things like that. That's, you, as, far, that's as far as I've gotten. So. <laughs> you have Josh Whedon produce. That's right. It's like, listen, I'd be like, Josh, Josh, I got, got, a, got a story for you. You may catch some flack with this one, too, because, you know, it's basically like <laughs> island number three for you. And technically the same island as your island number two. <laughs> but you know what? You've got a lot more stuff under your belt now than you used to, so let's. I'm sure you'll weather the storm. Uh, those are some good stories. Oh, we. You know what? Let's make it. Let's make a deal. He's like. He's like. I wrote Avengers. Damn it. <laughs> well, let's, Jay, let's make a deal. Once this pandemic's over and stuff is open again, we totally go visit San Francisco and visit Alcatraz. I don't think Chris is gone either, so we could totally take Becca and Chris. Virtual handshake. Virtual handshake. Okay, well, should we do our legendary listener shout-out? Let's do it. Okay, so this week, our legendary listener shout-out. Turns out that we did do Chicago last week, and we already, I actually went through all of our shout-outs, and we actually did do them twice. So apologies to everyone that we shout-out, and those who we haven't, I'm now keeping a better record of it. Sorry, Chicago, we gotta take back our shout-out from last week. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They are pretty up in numbers. But, you know, who overtook them this week is our shout-out legendary listeners in Los Angeles. They've been really great. I don't know if it's just because of all the quarantine and everyone still not being able to go out, but Los Angeles keeps doubling their numbers every time I look at them. (laughs) So thank you so much, Los Angeles, for listening, sharing. Hopefully maybe you guys can have uh, some talk, you know, come on Instagram Give us ideas, like our pictures. Please talk to us. <laughs> We're so lonely. We have these accounts open for a reason, people. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you very much for the support. Okay, well, why don't you take us home, Jay? This has been another successful and exciting episode of Legends in the Dark. My name is Jay. And I'm Leslie. Your curators of the creepy and your purveyors of the paranormal. We thank you for listening and good night. Good night.